What are you wishing for this Christmas? What are you wishing for this Christmas? Just, you don't have to say it out loud, okay, in your head. Clearly, people have already come to you as early as Halloween in some cases, but definitely after Thanksgiving is a time where parents come around to kids and they ask, what do you want for this year, right? What do you want for Christmas this year? What are you thinking about? What are you hoping for? So back when I was a boy, um, what was neat is there was something uh, that really helped. And uh, there was a U.S. retailer named Sears, and um, in 1933, uh, this was the first Sears catalog that came out. It was pretty short, about 100 pages. By the 1940s, Sears was printing the catalog in color, okay? And then by 1953, this wish book had over 500 pages of toys and gifts. It really helped me. You know, I could mark pages. I could cut things out. Um, we didn't have phones at that time to take pictures and send them to people, but you had a wish book, and it helped you. The wish books got longer and longer. By 1968, it was over 600 pages long, okay? Now, they don't make the wish book anymore, okay? Um, but what happened by 2009, actually, the wish book went online. This was the last year that they printed it, and it went online. Now we live in an online era, right? An online era where basically what we do is we have a wish list, an Amazon wish list. The Amazon wish list, actually, anybody have any idea when it started? Anybody? I'll take guesses. How far back? 1999, the idea was, was birthed, that we can create this list of items that we want and to be able to share them with other people. Having these, these lists online helped us to be able to kind of eliminate that tedious back and forth, right, of what do you want for Christmas or your birthday or something like that, because you could just look, see what the wish list had on it. Although wish books and wish lists are at times helpful for us to know and, uh, you know, what other people want, and uh, to give to other people what we do want. Really, what do these things draw our attention to? What are wish lists, wish books, anything? They draw attention to the things I don't have. They focus on the things that I lack rather than the things that I already have. Often the gifts in life which we have, which we can't buy with our money, are the ones that are the most precious to us. Chick talked about hope last week. Pastor Brian's going to talk about the gifts of love and peace. And today I'm going to talk about the gift of joy. These gifts that we have in Christ are the ones that are the most precious to us. And we're going to look at that and understand that a little better. As for the gift of joy, I want to encourage us to learn more about this gift of joy. Lord, learn about those things that cause us from experiencing this great joy and learn how to keep this great joy alive in our hearts, not just during Christmas, but throughout the year. That's my hope today. Now, to do so, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story, just like Paul Tripp talked about a few minutes ago. Um, this very familiar story in the Bible, which is about great joy coming from this restored relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Paul talked about, I want to pay close attention to what the angels were telling us. And that's a story we're going to look at today, the angels talking to the shepherds. So I'd like to turn your attention to Luke chapter 2. Those of you who have a Bible app or a Bible you can follow along with me. We're going to be reading here, or you can follow along on the screen. Okay? In those days, starting in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1, and we're going to go down quite a bit. Uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cunius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. Now notice that the, the birth happens first before we get to the angels, okay? And she gave birth to her first son, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened for which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, for were just as they had been told. Now what we want to do is, I want to look at the shepherds in particular in the story, and just to kind of understand about them before we get started. So shepherds at that time... um, Ironically, the story begins with Joseph having to go back to his hometown. Did you ever notice, did the shepherds go back to their hometown? Why? Any idea? Because they weren't important enough to be counted. Okay, they got to stay back because it was, they were in that day and age. The shepherds not only didn't need to be counted, but they were actually considered unclean. So many towns at that time had rules that said the shepherds couldn't come into their even town because of the, the, the profession that they did and how unclean that they were. In addition to that, most of them were, didn't really have much in the way of means. They were considered what we call hired hands, and they were sent off in the wilderness to really tend to the animals that belonged to rich cattle and, and sheep owners. Uh, they, they just didn't count as people. It's probably a nice way to say it. Uh, they didn't have homes. Many of them didn't have families. All they had was kind of the animals in each other. So the other thing about them is, is that when they were way out there, um, one of, they had a reputation, because you can imagine the different animals oftentimes gave birth, and they really didn't keep a good count of how many that they had. And so oftentimes it was known that a shepherd would go and take one of the calves, uh, maybe a calf of a sheep or a cattle, and they would go and sell it to make some money. And then when the landowner would come at kind of the end of the season and keep track, they would have no idea that the, that, that kind of was... So they were dishonest. So you have dishonest people who really don't count for anything. And these are the people that God chose to be the first ones to give his special message. So why? What about this group? What, what about this message? What, what's going on here? So well, let's, let's kind of delve into the story. We're going to start right there in verse 8 where it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. So the angels showed up and they were terrified. Now, this glory of the Lord that shone around them referred to kind of a brightness that was so bright that it was blinding, okay? So when the angels show up, it's super blinding. Um, how many of you have ever been blinded by something, by a light? Okay, yes, okay? 
Think of that like magnitude, like you can't even see. So it's the inverse. Like you ever been in a room where it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face? This is the opposite. It's just so bright you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Now, not only were they blinded, okay, but it says that they were terrified. And this idea of terrified means that they were, it was just this great fear. It's like a, it was, it was like you were scared beyond belief. This fear in the wildest sense. We would use the expression scared out of our minds or scared to death. So they are both blinded and scared by this appearance of these, this angel. Okay, so while you're blinded and while you're scared to death, now an angel starts talking to you, okay? But what's amazing is, is that, and we'll get to this in a second, is that they remembered everything that was told to them. Now, I wonder why. So the challenge is, is that, you know, when we're reading this, we don't really have tone or volume. And I, and I did not a great job of reading the text there in that section where the angel comes, because I didn't want to give it away of what I was thinking here. But think about the tone and the volume that the angel used when talking to the shepherds. Like, it was clearly unlikely a whisper, okay? But it, it could be so bellowing, okay, or so dramatic or so loud that like you could never forget it. But, but I had another thought on this. My thought was is that regardless of the volume of tone, it truly was something that they never forgot for the rest of their lives. So I want you to go back in your life, or just anybody's life, but in particular in your life, and think about those things that you heard that you'll never forget, okay? Those things that you heard and you'll never forget. Maybe it's the first word that your son said, the first word of a child. Maybe it was the last words that your mom said to you as you were holding her hand and she passed away. Maybe it was the first time he said, I love you. Maybe it was the time he said he's leaving for another. Maybe it's when the nurse said it's a baby girl. Maybe it's when the doctor told you you had cancer. There's an unforgettableness to words that are powerful and affect our lives. And that's the kind of words that were said here from the angels that you couldn't even imagine. So I don't know the tone. I don't know the volume. But this angel said something that the shepherds never forgot for the rest of their life. So let's look at these words that the angel said. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Okay, this expression, do not be afraid, comes from where the angel is telling them not to be terrified at this strange sight that they're experiencing. Now, while being blinded and scared to death, the angel first needs to get them to calm down, right? So there's, there's probably a good chance before the angel even said anything that there may have been a dramatic pause. It's like, okay, Sean, let me just, I want to say something to you. It's, okay, you just, okay, I have to tell you something, okay? So this is the strong likelihood that there was this pause before he says, do not be afraid. And then the next thing he tells them is about this good news, this good news he brings them that will cause great joy for them and for all of us, all people. It's referred to as the good news of great joy. Now, this good news was explained to them in a way that they could understand. And I want to unpack that a little bit later. So let's put that on the shelf for a second. I want to come back to this idea of great, great joy. 
So when I, we use the word great these days, it, it really doesn't carry the meaning that it once did. I mean, what isn't great these days, right? <laughs> there's a great taste, um, there's great teams, there's great this, there's great, great, great. I mean, so what's hard in the English language is sometimes doesn't bring out the sense of how large or big or the widest thing that this is. So the best expression I give you is, when I was a boy as well, they had another book that I liked quite a bit. It was called the Guinness World Book of Records. Okay? So this joy that's in here would be, you go into the section, this is like the biggest joy ever in the history of the world, joy. Okay? This is, in fact, the word that this comes from is actually a word that we use, mega. So I'm going to call this the mega joy. And ironically, the fear that we talked about was actually almost a mega fear. So you have this mega joy counterbalancing this mega fear. But it really was the largest, greatest, wildest sense of everything joy you could, anybody could ever experience. That's the way that this adjective is, has in there. And it just doesn't come across to say, I have good news with great joy. Okay? So, you know, it's like I, I've got incredible news of mega joy. Okay? And that's really what's going on here. So, and it's also tagged on with this phrase for all of the people, which literally means the totality of everyone. So this message isn't just for us. It isn't just for people in Willow Grove. It's for people in Transnistria. It's for people all over the world. This is a universal message that the angels were sharing on that day. There's no one who the good news is not great joy for. So the angel continued in verse 11 explaining the good news and how today is that in the, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the good news that I wanted to put on the shelf. I'm going to take back. This is that we have a God who comes and meets us where we're at. He came to save us. And he came in the form of a baby who would eventually grow up and give his life so we could have a restored relationship with him. And it's such good news that it produces this great joy, again, which is the opposite of that mega fear. Then the angels go on to provide a sign. Now, the sign is kind of a strange one, right? It's that you're going to find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, okay? Now, the idea of a sign is something by which a person kind of distinguishes something from another. So I'm of the theory, and it doesn't say in this text, but you can look in others, it doesn't matter come out. I have a big theory that this, this star thing was still out there, okay? Because I'm trying to figure out, how did the shepherds go from the fields to the place where Jesus is at? Like, I, I don't think they went around saying, all right, how many new babies were born, and there's a baby in a manger wrapped in cloths. So I, eventually they got to that point, just that was kind of the, all right, I'm, I'm sure that's the one. But I think that there was a sign up because they were used to kind of navigating themselves by the stars. So I think the star was still there, and it gave them a sense of where to go, and where to find this baby. Then we see in verse 13, okay, that there was this great company of heavenly hosts that accompanied them. Now, again, this word great again, I, I don't know what to do with it. It's, it's limiting. So I said, where else, what do I get a sense of how great this heavenly host is? Any idea? Do you think it was like 10 more angels? A hundred or more angels? Okay, most likely it was literally thousands. And why do I have a sense of this? Well, because ironically, Jesus used this same term for great in his ministry when, and you might remember, he had this encounter with Peter where he told Peter to go and put his nets on the other side of the boat after they had been fishing all night. And they said the number of fish that they pulled out 
was so great that they couldn't hold the nets. That's the same term great that's used here for the, the size of the company of angels. Great. So imagine so many fish that you could even put in a net, thousands of fish. There's just thousands of angels who are now chiming in, echoing this song that they sing, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. So that's what's going on. So now the, these shepherds had this crazy encounter with this one angel. Now a whole host of them show up to just kind of cement the fact this is going to be a memorable night, one you're never going to forget. Now, what they, we see that they went on in verse 15 and 16 after the angels left them. They went on and said, to her, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. The Lord told us about it. It tells us they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw the newborn child in verses 17 and 18, they spread the word and they just couldn't keep themselves quiet. So how many of you have ever encountered something that's been so dramatic that you go and start telling people about it the next day or maybe the next Monday at work? Okay. That's, that's the type of experience that these guys had. So we see in our story that the depth of this mega fear was encountered by the depth of this mega joy and that God took his message to these worthless liars and shared with them the good news of what was to come. And then on that night in the city of David, a Savior was born, Christ our Lord. So what does this mean for us, this great joy, this great story? this good news of great joy for us. There's a few people here today who probably think that this good news is really, it's great for you. It's great for me. But realistically, it's just one of many good news that's out there. That we can all pretty much climb up the mountain. Maybe you go one path, I go another path, another person goes another path, and we all eventually reach God. And we connect with Him. But Christmas... And the story of Christianity is so different. It's God coming down to meet us. So if this is a, something that's been strange to you or you didn't understand, our hope and our prayer today is that you would see that the Christian faith is one not of many paths out there, but one where God has come down and met us. And in the Bible it says that their salvation is found under no other name but Jesus. So God came down in the form of Jesus. He went and died on the cross to save us for our sins. In Acts 4.12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must saved. And that name is Jesus. So may today be the day that you, the Savior breaks through into your life and you are forever changed. So for those of us who are familiar with this story, and you know, Paul, Paul Tripp talked about it when he was talking. He just encouraged us to think about you know, the things that maybe that we love the sights, we love the sounds, we love the colors, but maybe we've starting to love Christmas for all the wrong reasons, okay? And he talked about how this good news that gives us great joy is something we want to really focus on rather than these temporary pleasures, how the enjoyment of the holiday maybe has been our pursuit rather than the joy that's in the middle of it. So what I want us to do is just to think through how is it that we can recapture some of this great joy in our life this morning. Um, I was sharing, we, we have a time before the service starts um, around 9.30, we collect in the conference room, and we pray for you guys. We pray for the service. We pray that God will encourage us through the music, through the kids with their bells, through the songs that we sing, through the announcements, through everything, and through this message. And during that time, I shared with the people there, they said, how can we pray for you, Steve? And I said, well, it hasn't been the most joyous of seasons for me so far. And I was sharing with them how when you prepare a message to share, 
oftentimes God has lessons for you to learn that are 10 times more than you could ever share up front here in the 30 minutes that we typically have. So I'll be going on for three hours. Just on, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we do have food in the back. But no, but, um, but I wanted to just share with you that, you know, there's ways that we can do this. There's ways that we can capture this joy throughout this Christmas season. So I just want to encourage you first on how to do that. The first way I want to do that is to really learn about this joy. I'm sure just as I read this Christmas story and explained a few of the context of insights into that, hopefully a few of those things open your eyes in ways you never thought about the story before. So what I encourage you to do is do that on your own. You, if you have a Bible app, they can read to you, read the Bible. Those verses, if you just read that section over and over again, I've, I've probably read it maybe 100 times before this message, and each time I read it, something else stood out to me. That literally took less than five minutes to listen to that on your ride in or in your morning. So take some time and read not only this account, but I want to encourage you some other things about this joy, this great joy. There's other things. So the first one is I want to encourage you that this great joy is the same that was used in Matthew when he described in Matthew 2.10 how the wise men, they felt great joy when they saw the star. I also want to encourage you that this is the same joy that was described by Jesus and the story that he told in Matthew 13, where he described the man who finds the treasure hidden in a field. This is the same great joy explained by Jesus in the story of Luke 15, when he told about the shepherd finding his sheep, or the woman finding their coin. It's the same joy in the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12 too, that talks about how this joy, this great joy sustained Jesus, even through the experience on the cross to die for us, so we could have this restored relationship. So I encourage you just to study this joy. Understand more about this joy, because the more you understand it, the more you appreciate it. In fact, how many of us at Christmas over the past couple of years have gotten something new that we've kind of had to learn how it works and discover aspects about it? Whether that's a phone, you know, usually it's electronics, but it could be anything. It could be a toy, okay? That's what I want you to do with this joy. You've got it today. You've learned a little bit about today. Begin to learn all the aspects of it that God has in his scripture for us. So the first thing to do is just to learn more about this joy. The second thing I want us to do this week is to just think about those things that keep us from experiencing this great joy. In the same way the good news of Christmas causes great joy, there are aspects of this holiday season that can cause us to struggle with experiencing this great joy. Why is it during the holidays that we find this joy at times so elusive? Almost seems like it's a faint memory that we once had. For many of us, and even for me these past couple weeks, the holiday season is such a whirlwind, right? Isn't this how it feels? We're just hustling, bustling. You know, I, I, um, I have a habit, unfortunately, of uh, finding the closest parking spot to wherever I want to go, and I could go around for hours trying to look for that spot. And then if we're both going for it, uh, God help you, Okay. Because it's going to be mine. But what happens is, is that rather than experiencing this great joy, what I end up feeling is drained. I just feel drained from the whirlwind of activities, expectations. At times, this holiday season can make me feel sad, hopeless. I could lose interest in things I used to enjoy, sleep too much or too little, have trouble concentrating, have a little energy. Um, but that's not how God designed this holiday season. But I need to understand what is going on. What are these things that trigger this sense of being overwhelmed or ignite that sense of discouragement that maybe has been smoldering underneath for the past couple months and the holiday just kind of brings it out of me? 
The holidays have been publicly perceived as this joyous time, but for some reason, maybe they're anything but joyful. So there's times where maybe our to-do list just kind of overwhelms us, and we feel like almost like a balloon that has a leak over the holiday season. It's because we've lost perspective. But knowing these triggers helps me to shift my focus back to the story, back to the Savior, back to who He is and what He's done for me. Think about a car that maybe begins to shift a little bit to the left when you're driving it. What does it need? An alignment. And maybe today is the day where we get our hearts realigned by understanding some of these triggers where we're at and align our focus back on the Savior and the great news that was told to us of great joy. The last thing I want to encourage us to do is just to learn ways to keep this joy alive in our hearts, not just during the holiday season, but to do the, throughout the year. Now, to do this, I will, I will put forth is both easy and hard. So why is it easy? Okay, so what I want to do is get you just thinking, what are arguably the two most happy, when they say, what are the happiest times, the happiest days of your life? It's time for a question that some people ask. What has been the happiest days of your life? And they usually ask that of people maybe in middle age. And there's two days that usually come out in most people's families of being the happiest days in your life. The first of those days is your wedding day. Monday, I will be married 30 years. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, we're not supposed to keep this picture up long, so the second most happiest day in your life is birth of a child, right? This happens to be Jesse. Um, so why are those days, your wedding day and the birth of a child, why are they considered, even in our culture, outside of this church, outside of our faith, outside of anything, why are they those happy days? Why are they considered culture those happy days? There's a variety of reasons, but I'm going to bring two to bear here. One is, is that we wait for them. We anticipate them. We think about them. In fact, if you go back to wedding day, leave, leave this picture up, Rob, sorry. Uh, back to the wedding day, right? Many of you, maybe, I don't know when's the age you start bringing kids to a wedding, but, you know, when a kid goes to his, particularly a daughter goes to their first wedding, what do they do? They envision when that will be them up on that altar. And they begin to think about that, really from the time that they were maybe, I don't know, eight or nine years old and what they're going to wear and what they're going to do and what it's going to be like. And they think about getting married for years. They anticipate what that's going to be like. And likewise, the first time you hold a baby, um, you look at that baby and you think, oh, my goodness, someday I'm going to be a dad or a mom and what that's going to be like. So you have these moments in your life's journey where you, you experience these things and then you anticipate them. And that's what joy's about. Joy's about anticipating things and also appreciating the things that you have. So we have the beauty of the joy in Christ of now experiencing joy in our relationship with him that's independent of our circumstance, which I'll get to in a second. But we also have the joy of, of what's awaiting to us in heaven, the eternal joy to be with him forever. So as we look at this birth of a child or a wedding, think of those as just symbolic ways that we've been, our hearts have been inclined to look forward to his coming. And that's what the shepherds did. So the other way that I want us to encourage us to just think through this sense of how do we keep joy kind of regularly is, is that what do we do probably, I think I read 
a story that um, we spend six years of our lives at traffic lights, okay? I don't know if you guys recognize this. This is actually downtown Willow Grove here. So what is it that we spend a lot of time in life doing? Waiting, waiting, okay? And during the holidays, what do we do more than any other thing, more than we do during the rest of the year? We wait, okay? So we go to the next one. We, we, I wait in line. Oh, sorry, uh, there was, all, yeah, there we go. That's Aldi, okay? I wait in line at Aldi a lot, okay? Usually, I, in fact, when I go into Aldi, if there's a line, I'm usually trying to find some clerk to say, hey, can you open up another line, right? Because I just don't want to be in line, okay? So may, maybe a few of you enjoy being in line. I'm f- unfortunately one of those people just lines, I just feel it's inefficient. It's, it's a waste of my time. But what's happened is that I began to prepare this message. God brought to my mind how a major, you know, the, the people of Israel waited for thousands of years for the Savior to come. And when the news came to them, it broke through into their lives and transformed them in a way that they've never been the same. So what I want to encourage you to do, both through the holiday and then really to make it almost a practice, is that while you're waiting, redeem your waiting. And allow yourself to realign your mind, okay, to the things that we have in Christ. These gifts that Pastor Brian has encouraged us to look at during this holiday season. The gift of hope that Chick talked about last week. The gift of joy. The gift of love that Brian's going to talk about next week. The gift of peace. These things that we have in Christ. I want us to begin to redeem our waiting. And question these things. And how might I invest my waiting in things that are weightier than my own? My own to-do lists. I want us to think about Christ who came and the Christ who is yet to come. And the last thing is, I think the other place we spend most of our time is on social media. Um, Nothing inherently good or bad about social media, but I can tell you that we spend a lot of our time there. So this is the other place I just want us to get into the practice as when we're on social media, very similar, let's go back to our wish books and our wish list. What does social media often make me feel like? Like, I wish something. I wish I was doing what they did. I wish I went to that restaurant. I wish I went on that vacation. I wish I looked as happy as that couple. I wish my kids were as obedient as I wish they look as, you know, that all the kids smiled at the same time. Right? I wish, I wish, I wish. So too often while we're on social media, we're thinking about what we wish our lives would be like rather than experiencing the joy that comes from this good news that we've been saved and loved by God more than we can ever know and imagine. So like the wish book or the wish list that draws our attention to things we don't have, social media becomes that wish list in our lives of things that we wish we could have in others. We, I, we often live vicariously through their postings, right? Longing to be like them, longing for the things that they have, longing for the experiences that they've done. As we spend time on social media, may we use it to have God bring to mind the great joy that we have in him. I just encourage you as you post there, as you look there, to not lose sight of all that you have in Christ and the gift that he's given you. And I'm not saying I want, when you guys start blasting out all kinds of Jesus messages this next week, that's not the goal here. But to not lose sight of what you have. And yes, use this time of year. The shepherds went and told people the story. And our place to tell our story is often on social media. So tell the story of what's been done for you. As Brian encouraged us during Tangible Kingdom, we all have a story to tell. And social media is a great place to do it, and this time of year is a great place to express it. So I just want to encourage you today just to think back to, okay, 
what is it that I have in Christ with this great story and learn more about the joy. I want to encourage us to be aware of our triggers through the holiday season. And lastly, I want us to redeem our waiting and our social media time to be able to bring our attention towards him. There's a quote I really enjoy by a guy named John Piper, um, and it really helps me to be able to kind of get myself realigned and focused. It said, God is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's what joy is about, is being satisfied in Christ. So let's pray. So God, I thank you for this message of joy and the reminder that we have. But I thank you for this exciting story of the angels coming and talking to the shepherds and what the, how they got to see you first and experience the, the waiting that came. Lord, I thank you that this message is great joy of good news for all of us. Lord, I pray that you'll work it in my heart these upcoming weeks. Lord, I pray you'll do likewise across the people of our church. In your name, amen.